podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey everybody, welcome to the special World Cup edition of Barca Talk. I'm Brian Henderson and joining me as always from Madrid, Spain is Gabriel Quiroga. Brian, Brian, my Barca brother from another mother. Good to good to see you on our Skype call here. I know we haven't seen each other in a few weeks. Yes, it's been uh, it's been a good break, but I'm I'm excited to talk a little football with you. Uh, yeah, in the World Cup. Over. Exactly. We were just talking about we just finished watching the Germany Mexico game, which was really exciting, really fun opening round match. I love matches like that where I have no rooting interest, and it's just a good match. You know, I, I hate when t- teams just bunker down and it's, you know, no one tries to take an opportunity to score, but this match was not like that. So it was a really fun match to watch. Yeah. And a, a kind of surprise result. I mean, Mexico pulled a really big upset, but kind of like you were saying before we started recording, it was because Germany just aren't quite as good as they were earlier in the, in the past few years. And Mexico showed up to play. Yeah, exactly. And the other thing too, is, you know, it's so hard to repeat as world cup champions. It's just so Hard. You're going through another team. You know, it's a long cycle. Uh, from what I saw from Germany, um, I just don't think they have the goods this year. Mexico may have just brought their super A game for this one, and we'll see how they do against Sweden and South Korea. Yeah, and I'm I'm thinking at the moment from what I've seen so far in this World Cup, no team is really standing out as a clear dominant team. Yeah, it's a good point. My friend just, I was watching the match with my friend. He said the exact same thing. So he's on the same wavelength as you. So uh, I totally agree. You know, there hasn't been a team that just, you know, dominated. My, my friend said, except Russia, you know, Russia. Did pretty- <laughs> <laughs> I was like, nothing win. Well, I was talking with my friends and I was saying, look, some people, some of them were saying like, Russia might not even make it out of the group. And I said, are you crazy? There's definitely at least enough bribery money in Russia to at least get them into the round of 16. That's, I totally agree. I told they're definitely making it past the the next round, but like you said, there is no team that's dominant. Obviously, we're just we haven't completed the first games, so we'll. I'm I'm excited to see Brazil after we record because I think they have a really strong uh, team, and I think they'll go far this year as well. Yeah, but compared with, I mean, for me, the benchmark is Spain 2010. I mean, sure they lost their first game against Switzerland in the group stage, but going into the tournament and every game after that, it just seemed like nobody could really touch them. We don't have anything like that this year. Yeah. I mean, we don't know yet. Right. I mean, that's the thing. Like you had the three games and you, you you would assume, especially like with Germany, with their experience that they'd be able to not uh, lose to Mexico, that they at least get some points off of this. But yet, like you said, you know, uh, in 2010, when Spain lost, they were still able to string be unbeaten and eventually be the World Cup champions. Yeah, and we're actually going to talk about two matches specifically, mainly because they relate back to FC Barcelona pretty closely, and that'll be at the towards the end of the show. But right now, I do want to talk about this one little thing. Barca Talk has a new look and a new logo. Uh, Carlos Rojas, one of our listeners, he is a graphic designer. I follow him on Instagram. Uh, his username is KDRM87. You should check him out because he has some of his designs on there and he does some really fun stuff. So we got to talking and he designed this great new logo for the show. I really love the way it looks. So I want to say thanks again to Carlos. It looks really great, way better than than anything I was able to make. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm excited as well. And we were kind of talking about the new logo, right? That maybe we might change the logo every year, just like the team changes the the, the jersey every year. I think that'd be kind of cool. But yeah, so thanks, Carlos, for the design. I really love it. I think it's going to be really cool. And uh, I'm really excited to put it up on all our social media and our website. Yeah, so we should be ideally coordinating that with our uh, the release of this episode and I'm already kind of starting that process, and I think everything should work out. 
But anyway, there's a couple of things that we do want to talk about in terms of transfers. Of course, the big news is that Griezmann has decided to stay at Atleti. Yeah, I mean, how do you feel about this? Fine. I yeah, totally you're fine, fine with it. Yeah, I, I kind of feel the same way. I feel, you know, obviously uh, another bullet in the chamber if he would have come to Barcelona. But at the same time, I just think it would have been too much for us to handle, you know, to make everyone happy. And also too much star um, power. Too much star power, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I watched. We were talking earlier before we recorded. He he recorded a documentary about this decision, almost like LeBron did, but LeBron did his with uh, it was a live TV production. And I tried to watch it, couldn't find it online, so I watched the last five minutes where he actually makes the decision. And it really kind of came down to this: it was going to be less money in Barcelona, where he was not going to be the the superstar or stand at Leti and be the superstar and make more money. He's very comfortable here in Madrid. He loves playing for Atleti. So I actually, you know, I think it's good because it helps La Liga as a whole as well, because Atleti's now still continues to be a power in La Liga to make our league stronger. Yeah, and it, that's an interesting decision for him to make in in a sense, right? Because, and I understand it and I respect it actually, because to me, it's the real decision seems to be not so much just between money and playing time, but also between do you want to be a secondary player on a team that's definitely going to win some trophies? Or do you want to be the lead player, the marquee player on a team that might win some trophies, but also has an equal chance of not winning any trophies and at the same time making more money? I, I'd make the same decision as him, I think. Yeah, I mean, it just depends on what you're, you know, how you're wired, you know. Either decision is great, you know, because it's you're playing for both great teams, uh, living in both great cities, you're making a lot of money. So, you know, it's very minuscule that he's doing you know, these decisions. But yeah, like I said, I mean, I for me, I prefer him to stay in Atleti. I just didn't see him being a Barca type player. So I think now we can focus on trying to get uh, a midfielder to strengthen our midfield because I think that's what we're really lacking more than our uh, strike force. Yeah, absolutely. And that's exactly what a lot of the press has been saying. A lot of the rumors have been that since Griezmann decided he's staying at Atleti, the whole focus has shifted to uh, bolstering the midfield rather than bringing in another striker. And as rumored by Don Ballon, there are four possible targets, and I actually want to talk about each one of these a little bit. Apparently, one of the most likely targets, I don't know if this, again, we don't know how true any of this is, but transfer rumors are, we're just having a little bit of fun with them. First up is Tiago. Now, of course, the main thing with Tiago is that he used to play at Barcelona. He decided to leave, and I don't think that the club has a really strict adherence to a policy of not bringing back players who decided to leave, but they have said things to that effect. So what do you think about this in terms of what do you think the likelihood of this is, and what would you think of bringing him back? I think it's very low that he comes back. Um, I just think it's too expensive. Um, I've been kind of seeing tweets and so forth on social media, and everyone is very... Uh, romantic about this idea of bringing him back. I think Tiago is a great player, but I don't know. I I don't know how I feel about it, Brian. I'm, I I think obviously he would strengthen our midfield. Um, I guess it really just comes down to me for me just how much it's going to be. Like how much is the, the transfer fee going to be? Is it going to break the bank? Is it going to be over $100 million? I don't know. Uh, if it's under $100 million, I say go for it. Okay. And where see, I'm also trying to think where would he play? And would he be a, a more – would he start more often than not, or would he be more secondary behind Coutinho? Would he be, Would he and Coutinho play at the same time? Where would he be on the pitch, you think? Yeah, that's, that's another good question. I mean, especially we don't know what type of formation we're going to be using. I mean, that's kind of the flexibility. So It's going to be a 4-4-2, man. 
Yeah, I know. I know. I hate it. Uh, I mean, for example, if we're in a 4-3-3 and we put Coutinho up there, then that gives a spot to Tiago, right? Tiago can slip them to the left, you know, where Iniesta was. But again, it's just, you know, we know we have, I, I don't know, Brian, I just, I like, we have this list that we're going to talk about. And I just feel as though we can just use our bench better without trying to break the bank with these midfielders. Yeah, We just have to point. use the minutes better and, and they'll be able to uh, withstand, you know, the last um, run in April when we have champions Copa and La Liga. I mean, that's, I think that's what we have to do instead of trying to get more star midfielders. And I understand that competition, competition breeds this to, to, you know, make the team better and so forth. But at the same time, at what cost, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, we actually have a very solid squad and I was just reading today about Carlos Alenia's surgery and I don't know what his recovering time is going to be like, but you know, at the end of the season or at the beginning of the summer, the talk was that Carlos Alenia is definitely being moved up to the first team. And I assume that if his, uh, his surgery went well, and his recovery goes well, then he's going to be a great, you know, secondary midfielder to come in on those easier games or the, you know, late in the game as a substitution. And we actually do have a decent amount of talent and depth all across the squad. But just like you said, it's about managing the minutes, not about getting stars. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And trying to balance, trying to bring players up from La Masia and bringing superstars at the Galactico price and all this, you know, we have, as Kool-Aid's, we have a lot of demands now of what we want to win. And especially after last season with the Champions League leaving a bad taste in our mouth, it's interesting to see what the board's going to do. I mean, if they go after Tiago very hard, then that means obviously that, you know, it's because of the demand of trying to complete uh, the, the tripletta, you know, and that's what we want to do. And again, I don't know, you know, for me, I like Tiago, but I just think he's been injured too often, you know, just in his whole history. You know, obviously the romanticism of him being a former Barca player and then coming back and all this is great. But what if he gets hurt again and doesn't give us the minutes and all of a sudden we have him on the bench? Or we have him on the payroll. On the pay, that's what's going to be the text, you know, on the payroll, chewing up, you know, the money while he's not performing. So I don't know. I don't know if I that made sense, Brian. Like a like an animal, just chewing in a hospital bed, chewing. just chewing up cash. Yeah, mm, yeah. yeah, just damn. chewing up that cash, buddy. <laughs> Him and his brother Bo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but also on this list is uh, Pjanic, the Juventus midfielder, who's a really solid midfielder. What would you think about having him? So again, like, what what do you think we need more? Do you think we need more defensive or more attacking midfielder type? Personally, I think we need more attacking. Then I don't really think this is your guy. Right. right. <laughs> you know, like, I think he's a very solid midfielder. Um, but when I think of him, I don't think of creativity or amazing through balls. I think more his tenacity, uh, the way he plays defense. And, I mean, he's a, he's a really good midfielder, but I just don't know if he fits the style of us. I think he's definitely a Serie A type of player. And I think the technical ability of La Liga might, I don't know, he might be a fish out of water, you know? Yeah, I don't although know. He, he does sort of uh, have, I think, some things in common with Rakitic in his game, but a little bit more defensive. Yeah. I mean, again, it's just, you know, when I when I think of creative attacking midfielders, Pjanic is not the first person I think of. He's not even on this, you yeah, know. Absolutely so, not. so if you, if you, Brian, if you're saying that you want more attacking, then I think the next guy is more our bread and butter. Erickson, yeah, yeah, Christian Eriksen. You know, I like his style, and I think he could come at a good price. I don't know if he would be. Would you think he would be more? He, he would be cheaper than Tiago. I think he would at this point. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, I'm not sure. I didn't. I haven't checked all the uh, all other the numbers. numbers. Yeah, but I, the, I, I think just like, budget. yeah, I, I think, I think Eriksen would be a cheaper transfer. I, 
you know, just obviously guessing. I think Erickson would fit our style easier. And I also like his, his upside. You know, I still think he's young and he's still evolving and becoming a better player. And also the way he distributes. I like the way he does that. And he also has the creative flair that we look for as a attacking midfielder. So from the guys on this list, I think Erickson would be the best fit going forward. Yeah. And I've I've been hearing talk about him for at least the last year about how well he would fit in at Barcelona. Yeah, definitely. And this year he had a great year. Uh, I, I watched him closely when during the Champions League campaign when he was with Tottenham, and I was super impressed with him. And I've been watching him for the last two years. I had a roommate who was from Denmark a couple of years ago, and he told me about him. And so I've been always – he's always been on my radar. I'm very impressed with his style. I think, like I said, I think he'd just be a, a natural fit at Barcelona. So there might be some veracity to that. But then – bottoming out the list of, I think a very unlikely left field possible target is Gundogan. Yeah. I mean, we, we had this guy quite, you know, one of the listeners gave a question right earlier in the year about him. And we both kind of were like, ah, oh, we don't know who he is. What he, and he had a really good season actually under pep, but I, I just don't think he's good enough. I mean, I think he'd just be a bench player, you know, it'd be, I mean, we just got, and he's also very injury. Exactly. And right? we just got rid of Andres Gomes. We don't want to get another player where we're disappointed you know that's why i think you know erickson or tiago would be just a great fit because we're we know what to expect from them they can fit our style uh whereas andres gomez was you know he was a fish out of water he just didn't fit our style and watch you, you'll see now he's going to have a better season going forward he's because now he's going to be on a different team where he's not uh demanded to be so technical you know so yeah i don't think that there's really any reason to bring him in i don't think there's any likelihood that he'll be brought in um, of course this is again from Don Ballon which is notorious for making some pretty wild claims and and rumors I don't I don't see that happening at all now on the reality side of things what has has actually happened is uh, one thing is that Delefeu is uh, has officially left FC Barcelona he was on loan to Watford and now he's officially signed with Watford and left FC Barcelona and I'm pretty happy about this myself because he did not he didn't he just didn't deliver for Barcelona and apparently he had a pretty good season or a very good season at Watford looks like he's happy there and he's delivering he's getting more minutes uh there's a lot of faith in him and that's uh I think it's positive for for everyone positive for him and for Barcelona yeah I mean again it's just one of those things that we we both had a lot of faith in him in the beginning of the year to develop have this opportunity to take this opportunity and, and go forward with it. And he just didn't. And, you know, obviously Valverde lost faith in him and just stopped using him. And then obviously with the transfer. So, you know, um, I'm glad we were able to get something out of it and hopefully Delafeo has a good career in Watford, but yeah, it's kind of disappointing because um, he had a lot of promise earlier in his career, especially when he was young and it just didn't pan out. Yeah. But we're clearing up that part of the wage bill and freeing up some space in the squad. And um Again, yeah, he'll he'll do better there than he was doing in Barcelona, I think, as relatively speaking. He's probably not going to win any trophies with Watford, but at least he'll he'll get to play. Yeah, he's going to be battling relegation for the rest of his life. <laughs> <laughs> in my mind, I'm always fighting relegation in life. <laughs> I'm never I'm never winning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just fighting to avoid relegation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Aren't we all, Brian? Aren't we all? <laughs> yeah. All right, well, let's get into some World Cup talk. 
Uh, first off, I just want to talk about my fantasy team because it's not going so well. And now, this is separate from our bracket challenge. Once the group stage is over, we'll have some results about our bracket challenge, of which we have 14 people in our little Barca Talk League, which is fun, and I'm looking forward to seeing how that comes out. Uh, you're on there, I'm on there, of course, my wife Megan is on there, and then uh, a bunch of other people, and I don't totally know who they are, but we're we're, <laughs> we're going to be giving updates as soon as the group stage is over and we have some results there. But I also just, on the side, did my own fantasy team, and I tried my best to make a fantasy team that's entirely made up of Barcelona players, and really downside is that I have Ter Stegen in goal, and he's not going to play in this tournament unless Neuer gets injured. After today, are you like in... 10 millionth, 157,000 plays or what? I'm, I'm pretty deep. <laughs> I'm pretty deep in the, <laughs> in the standings. I have a total of, of six points and I feel like that was not, that's not good. Yeah, that's, that, that's, that's not great. That's not great, Brian. PK, so my back four are actually all center backs. Okay. So let's hear your starting 11 again. Okay. So here's my fantasy 11. Um, oh, actually I have Alba on there. So I've got Ter Stegen, Vermaelen, PK, Alba, and Umtiti. Mm-hmm. And then the middle three, Rakitic, Busquets, Coutinho. Okay. And after the Brazil match, I might get some points from Coutinho. Messi, Suarez, and Dembele up front. In these opening games, Dembele and Suarez both got two points in this fantasy app that I'm using from Goal, goal goal.com. And Messi is minus two. And he's the captain of my team. But I'm obviously, I'm not going to sell it. Yeah, yeah. Messi, you're killing me, bro. Yeah. What are you doing? I don't know. But, like, if, if Belgium has a good match, then I'll get a couple of points for Vermaelen. PK and Alba both got, like, negative one points for some reason. And uh, that win that France had gave Umtiti a point. And, but, again, I've got Ter Stegen in goal, and he's he's not going to get me anything. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, we were talking about – I was talking about that with my friend at the – watching the Germany match. Like, that was a big decision that Joachim Milo made to not start Ter Stegen, who had such a great year, and nor who did not do anything this year. Um, obviously, you know, the goal of the game, it had nothing to do with that. But um, I, I'm personally hoping that Ter Stegen does get a game here or there. So we'll see what happens. But you might have to – can you substitute that goalkeeper position? I could. Yeah. I could. But, you know, he's uh, – like I said, my – this. I'm not trying to win. No, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Again, I'm not trying to win fantasy – world cup football uh, i'm just trying to i'm just fighting against Ryan. i know brian <laughs> no so it's 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 an experiment yeah, to yeah, see yeah. you know how many points i can get with an all barcelona lineup yeah apparently six and, points but, yeah i i just need i need someone to go tanya hardy <laughs> on, on, on neuer so that terstegen can get some minutes <laughs> nine 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 yeah <laughs> <laughs> But actual games. Um, well, first off, let's talk about Spain yes. and that whole debacle, that whole uh, shit yes. show. Yes, debacle is the the kinder <laughs> word for it. Well, before we get, in, I just want to say, you know, this is what you get when you support Real Madrid. I mean, Real Madrid just screws everything up. You know, that's, that's what they do. You know, <laughs> that's why I was telling all my teacher friends that Real Madrid friends were like, look, you screwed up the federation. Look what happened. You know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, basically, it comes down to who has bigger balls. Right. I mean, that's just really what it is. The Federation uh, trying to put their foot down and Real Madrid just circumventing this whole process. Right. So basically, the crux of it is the new president of the Federation. Right. He just started in May, you know, and they signed Lopetegui to an extension to 2020. And I believe I believe if Lopetegui was more upfront about it at the very beginning of his intentions. And I think all this would have been avoided. 
But again, Absolutely. he he decided to let his agent hold, you know, deal with it, and they basically did a backroom deal with Real Madrid, and then they let the federation know about those dealings. And it's one thing, you know, that he signed the 2020 deal. Obviously, being a coach of the federation is not the strongest ironclad contract. You can always get out of it. But at the same right. thing, at the same time, the president of the federation was trying to show that it's a new president. This is how it's not going to happen. We're not going to be a bully to Barcelona or Real Madrid. And I can see both sides, but at the same time, you know, two days before the World Cup, you just I think you just bite the bullet because Lopetegui has invested so much time with this team uh, for the past, you know, five to six years. And I don't know. I personally I think they would they should just bite the bullet, taking it and then after just fired him and let him go to Real Madrid. Well what I don't understand is why is it even a question of pride? Like, why does that even come into it? I mean, it's it, it's literally two days before their first match. Why do you sack your manager? Do you want Spain to do well in the tournament? Because if you do, don't fire him. Yeah, but it also comes down to the Real Madrid aspect of it. Like, why couldn't Real Madrid just wait or do it sooner? No, I totally agree. You know, that's the other I thing. I totally agree with that. For example, Real Madrid, we've, you know, Zidane left, what, three weeks prior to the World Cup. So it wasn't. You know, he left on a Saturday and this all happened so shortly. Uh, but no, their shortlist wasn't, you know, wasn't very sexy. And so they wanted to get Lopetegui. And so I understand that. But all, Real Madrid could have waited or talked about it or gone through the proper channels before they just, you know, did this and really just messed with the team. You know, there was a huge falling out with Ramos and so forth. They had this huge meeting to try to keep Lopetegui. Um, basically the night before he got fired and so forth, but the president wasn't having it. He's just, he's very, he's, he's black and white, you know, you're either with him or against him and that's it. Uh, yes. Good leadership. Correct. <laughs> I'm not uh, listening to your opinion. It's my man, opinion. Sometimes I worry that we're just moving into a new era of fascism. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Good. Yeah. Yeah, and so uh, he was replaced with Fernando Hierro. Yeah. And so I, I did a, just a teensy, teensy bit of digging, uh, more like scratching the surface, just to get a little bit of a dossier on this guy. And he spent the majority of his playing career at Real Madrid. It was like something like 14 seasons there. He's a center back, defensive midfielder. And he does not have a lot of management experience on the with the team on the field, right? He was an assistant manager at Real Madrid for one year in 2014, he was the manager at Oviedo for one year in 2015-16. And then beyond that, he also has some experience in more like the front office, kind of like sporting director, director of football sorts of things at Malaga and at the Federation. So th And then he's thrown in as the manager for the national team two days prior to their first match. But I, I think he'll be okay because obviously because of his playing career, He's always been the captain, so he has a very kind of leadership uh, quality about him that people will follow. Um, you know, also he's he's a great he was a great player, but obviously he doesn't have that much experience as a manager. But also he's been with this this particular team for the last two years behind the scenes, and he knows the ins and outs. So I think you know, if anyone, he's going to be okay. Obviously they tied the first match, but he didn't. You know, nothing he did or didn't do, I don't think really, really affected the outcome of that game. So we'll see what happens in the next two games. But I think they'll be OK. You know, he's a stopgap for now and we'll see what happens in the future. But, you know, being these national team coaches is such a difficult cha challenge because all you're gearing up for is basically the European Championship, World Cup and qualifying. And you really don't have the players 
you know, like where you can really develop chemistry, severe tactics and all these things. So I can see the attraction of Lopetegui obviously going to Real Madrid. Obviously, it's a top tier job. But, you know, I just I just feel like, you know, his whole goal was to lead this team to the World Cup and now then he got fired, you know. So it's just crazy how that'll happen. So I have faith in Euro because I think he, you know, he's got a strong personality. So I think he'll be okay with the team. Uh, again, we'll see what happens on Wednesday. They play Iran on Wednesday, so they should be okay to get those three points. Well, what do you think Yero's plan here is? Do you think he's trying to really institute any major tactical changes or a new approach, or is he just going to try and continue what they've been doing under Lopetegui? Yeah, this definitely just continue. I mean, that's just the easy thing. He's not going to come in and be like, okay, we're changing, four, three, three, boom, done, you know? Yeah. No, it's not. <laughs> No, I mean, you know, he's been behind the scenes this whole time, so he knows what Lopetegui was trying to do and, and tactically what he was trying to do, so he's just going to continue that. That's the easiest thing. But again, this team of Spain is very veteran-oriented. You know, we have a, there's a lot of players on this team that are, this is their third World Cup. We have mixed in with some youngsters. So for me, it's not that big of a deal. I think it would be a bigger deal if it was a younger team with less experience and a lot of hype around them, but I think – with the amount of veterans on this team, like PK and Ramos and Iniesta, um, you know, I think they'll be able to manage to get out of the group stage. At least we'll see what happens going forward, because that's where those kind of decisions of being a really great manager come into play. So what'd you think of the Spain Portugal match? I was telling you before, I didn't watch it live, unfortunately, but I did watch the match. Um, man, Ronaldo just annoys me, man, so much. Oh yeah, You know, that's the first thing that comes out for me. The the goal that De Gea left go through his knees. I mean, come on, that, that just can't happen. And I saw a lot of people on Twitter criticizing that. You know, it's like De Gea plays in England, so obviously he's the best goalie in the world. You know, <laughs> he is a top tier goalie, but you just can't have that kind of mistake. And of course, the the penalty, the free kick by Ronaldo. Of course, the first time he doesn't kick the shit out of the ball, and he gets it on target. It's a goal. I mean, how many? It's funny because my friend was saying. We're watching the match. We're like, oh, he's going to take it. No problem. This is not a goal because he hasn't scored a free kick in how long? Like two years or something. And then this time he actually lined it up with accuracy and then hits it and then gets the goal. So that was obviously a goal also. But I think it that's, was. That's that the, was a killer goal. Yeah, that's the first thing is Ronaldo. I mean, whatever, you know, however you deem these goals, like especially the first one, the penalty, which I didn't think was a penalty. I thought it was very, very soft. Um, he got a hat trick. And again, that's just he's just a goal machine, you know. Uh, I mean, who else in Portugal scares you? Maybe Gonzalo Guedes, but no one else really. That's true. Yeah, aside from Ronaldo and Guedes, I don't, I don't see much depth or longevity in Portugal's squad. So yeah, he had a great game against Spain, but and of course, I think they'll get the the two of them are going to advance out of the uh, yeah. out of the group. That's who I see coming out of the group, especially with Iran upsetting Morocco. I mean, because the only other real contender in that group was Morocco, and now that they're down three points and Iran has those three points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no way that Spain and Portugal aren't the ones going forward. And I don't know if if Spain is going to go further than Portugal ultimately, but I don't think Portugal is going to get that far. Yeah, I mean, I think also too just because Portugal is not scared of Spain. I just think cuz they're so familiar with them. I think that also helped in that match because usually another team maybe is a little intimidated by Spain's talent, but Portugal is not, especially Ronaldo. And so that, you know, the team could feel that. And so, I mean, you know, it's pretty impressive because on paper, I would have said Spain would have won. I, will, I did not think Portugal was going to be able to score as many goals. So that brings me to the point is, you know, I don't know if this is just, just a one-off. I mean, we're going to see in the next couple games. But I think Portugal had, you know, showed some vulnerability into Spain's counterattack and defense. I mean, there was a lot of times where Spain on defense, 
you know, they just kind of look slow and, yeah. and uninterested. I don't know. Like they did, you know, it's like, this is the world bit. cup, man. And then a couple of times they just <laughs> let Ronaldo, fired up. Yeah. You know, they just let Ronaldo and Guedes go on them. And it's, you know, for me, I think, you know, obviously we'll talk about the, we could talk about the first goal. So what do you think about the first goal by Dio Custom at 24th minute? That goal shocked me. I should yeah. say Diego Costa shocked me <laughs> in that goal because he actually took some touches. Yeah. And, and like got head on on goal and worked himself into a position to take it, and then he took it really well. That is not the kind of thing that I expect to see from Diego Costa. And I have to say I was also not happy that he was in the starting lineup. I know that he offers this this like physicality and the way that he'll get advanced can try and stretch out a team. I understand that there's a tactical thing there. But he's just like a gorilla out there, and I I prefer more finesse. But he actually brought some finesse on that goal. I mean, it was the most Diego Costa goal. First, he elbowed Pepe, right, <laughs> to, get, <laughs> to get free. Well, that's step one. Yeah, that's step one. He's like, elbow Pepe, done. And then he yeah. got the ball, and then he did the touches, and he, got, and he got a nice shot off. But I totally agree with you, Brian. I think he needs to play with someone else. He needs a partner. He's not a one-up there. And especially on this team with Spain where you have so much movement with Silva – um, Iniesta and um, Isco, yeah. Y- you need someone like Rodrigo or Aspas who are very good at finishing, but also can move around and pass and go. Because I feel as a lot of times with Costa in there, he's just a guy in the way. You know, I, he's almost right. like an Andres Gomes role with Barcelona, where he has one type of of maneuver. It's physical and this but he just cannot play with other uh, people who are so technically at passing and going, even though Diego Costa scored two goals on paper and people are going to say, yeah, he had a great performance because he scored two goals. I just think that they would have been having more attacking opportunities with either Rodrigo and Aspas. Yeah. And I was glad to see Aspas come on, but I totally agree that that they need two up front. They need Rodrigo and Costa or Aspas and and Rodrigo or some combination uh, up front but on the other hand you know ultimately we, we scored three goals in this game which was great yeah definitely and going back to your point with that i just think if they need to play two forwards with costa but if they use aspas or rodrigo they can still use this lineup with just the one forward because i think it's almost like a false nine but not really but um i told him you know again i just think a false, he's false a, nine a false false nine you know a real <laughs> false nine you know i don't know <laughs> This was an entertaining match. You know, this is what you want. I mean, there were six goals in total, so. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was a lot of fun as far as goals. And, and kind of like you were saying about Germany-Mexico, if you didn't have any rooting interest in this game, and I was, of course, rooting for Spain, uh, but if you didn't have any rooting interest in this game, it was definitely a fun one to watch. Yeah, definitely. And then let's talk about the last goal, or one of the last goals by Nacho. That thing was, wow. Yeah. That thing I. It was such a nice uh, one-time hit that, he, and it hit both posts. I mean, it was just you watch our replay; it's just perfectly hit. That's so hard to do to hit the ball like that from that distance, and then just have it on a line. And Nacho was able to connect, especially considering he um, had the penalty gaff against Ronaldo in the fourth minute, which was not a penalty. But um, <laughs> I think I think going forward, though, I, I think that's that going to, It was not. <laughs> yeah, it, it was. I mean, and the, and the and the referee was right there. I mean, you can't Did they let use that VAR happen. for that. No, ah. no, was it because the ref was right there, so he called it for a penalty. Mm-hmm. But I think that's going to be one of the problems because Nacho's not fast enough out there on the wings. So I think that could be a problem, especially since Carvajal is out injured still. So we'll see what happens. I mean, he's obviously a serviceable defender, but you could see that Ronaldo was able to take him to the corner a lot of times. Yeah, and I, at the moment, I'm really feeling the absence of Carvajal as much as I, I don't actually have any serious beef with Carvajal, except that he plays for Real Madrid, but. 
he's he's a solid when he's playing for Spain. I I would like to back him up, and I I'm yeah. feeling his absence. Yeah, I mean he has that speed, you know, and that you know to be able to recover, especially when they're playing one v one. That's that's a huge asset. So I hope he comes back and you know he's able to be healthy and able to play ninety minutes for Spain. But for the time being, it's, it's going to be Nacho because of his experience and his physicality in the air. And you know what this reminds me is again, I was watching this game and I'm still just don't understand why they wouldn't call up Sergio Roberto for a world cup where yeah. you have a limited squad for a limited period of time. You don't know what's going to happen with injuries. You cannot make changes. A utility player like him would be such a great part of your squad. And I don't understand why they didn't call him up. Yeah. That's a really great point because you know, for that match, how much better would Spain look if he was playing right back? Wow. That's, exactly. that's really, I didn't even think about that. That's a really great point because he would have given the speed, the playmaking ability that Nacho cannot do, but obviously, uh, I, you would think hi- hypothetically that he would not give that penalty to Bernardo as well. So that's a that's a great point. But, you know, Lopetegui picked this squad and he wanted this. Uh, I think he just had more faith in Nacho as just being a, you know, strictly defender. But, yeah, good point. Yeah, yeah, really disappointing. Lopetegui, you disappoint me. Yeah. Now what about Argentina and Iceland? I watched the highlights in the second half of this match, but, man, Messi... You're killing me, bro. You know, like after... You didn't have a great game. Not only that, but okay, but it's not even about the game. It's Because I know that Argentina is super flawed. So you cannot, you know, we have these, especially p- people I talk to here, my friends that, you know, they're talking about Argentina and stuff. Like we can't think of the Argentinos from the 90s or the early 2000s. We, they do not have the talent as they once did. Messi is carrying this team and so is Aguero. But when you have the penalty to win the match... And you're supposed to be the goat. You have to, you have to make it. You know, especially after we just saw Ronaldo's hat trick. You have to match it. I'm sorry, you just have to. And he was not able to do that. And I was watching the sports show here in Madrid, and they had all the commentaries from Argentina, and they were just obviously lighting it up. You know, so yeah. Well, honestly, ever since the Copa America, where they lost in the penalties, and Messi missed his penalty. I don't he just hasn't been as good on penalties ever since then. And frankly, in this tournament at least, I don't think Messi should be the penalty taker. I think Aguero should be. Yeah, I mean that's a good point. Just mix it up. But at this you know, it wasn't a bad penalty, but at the same time you just got to convert it. It's I mean, those are three points. This is Iceland. It's basically they're they're going down the same road they did in twenty ten where they barely beat Iran and they barely beat this other team and then they have to like really fight to the last minute to get through the round. You just can't do that. On paper, Argentina should be blowing Iceland away. And I know Iceland played more defensive, but at the same time, you have Aguero and and Messi. You should be able to create fear to this defense. And Iceland was didn't give a shit at all. You know? No, they were they were not scared. But then again, each one of their defenders had a partner. It seemed somehow they managed to I mean they were very well organized and disciplined because somehow they managed to double team whoever had the ball more often than not. Or and ninety percent of the time. The thing is is you know, once you go into those tactics of okay, we're gonna double team and push to the side and you can do that. And Argentina wasn't doing anything to counter that, right? They just right. kept doing it. And that's the problem. You have to have the counter to the counter, right? So Again, I don't know if it's down to the coaching, the players. I mean, we're going to see what happens in the next match, but just a really bad start. You you got you have to get those three points, especially when you're playing Iceland, 
on paper that you should beat. You know, obviously I know we've always talked sports, you know, the moment world cup, all this stuff playing on neutral ground, but come on, man, you're, you're messy. You got to, you got to deliver the good. I mean, you know, for whatever the match, how he played, you know, that's, you know, I've seen enough of him that I know for me, he's the best player, but at the same time, when you have that opportunity in these moments of high pressure sports, you have to make that moment. You have to get those three points. Yeah. And as far as the penalty that he took, you know, it was, it was on target, but it just wasn't threateningly on target. You know, it was right in the middle of the goal, not too far towards the post. It was, and the goalkeeper just went the right direction and he went opposite to where it would naturally go. You know, as a left footer, your the natural sort of swing of your leg would take the ball out to the right, but he went, out to the left and the goalkeeper guessed right and since he didn't place it too far towards the post or very high up towards the corner it was an actually wound up being an easy save yeah and we've seen this all year right with the penalties that he's missed the penalties he has missed were you know very sloppy you know and again I think he's still one of the best penalty kick takers I mean because I just think statistically he's taken so many that's why he has so many misses you know we just kind of you know, either like you said, give Aguero the opportunity, or just Messi. You just got to, you just got to do better on that. You just got to put it in the corner. I'm, I'm sorry, like you have just do better, right? You do, but I just, I mean, I don't know what else to say because with penalties, it drives me crazy. I just never go to the ground. Just go high and go where because the keeper is going to go left or right, but just put it above that horizon, and you should be able to have a higher success rate. And I just drives me crazy because I really want, I'm really rooting for Messi to do well in this tournament. And it's just a bad start. Yeah. And that's the other thing is that, you know, at least here in the States, we have a a bunch of people watching soccer for that one month, every four years that they watch soccer and that informs them and their opinions so that they think they know about soccer. Correct. And here they are watching this tournament and this guy, Cristiano Ronaldo, who is admittedly a great player. Um, but he's doing really well. And then there's this other guy who is apparently the best in the world or the greatest of all time. And he's having a bad game. And then that I think there's an aspect of that, at least for us here in the States. I think there's an aspect of that for us where we want everyone to understand. We want everyone to see Messi's greatness. And first games uh, between these two, it like if you're weighing the two against each other, as Fox Sports is definitely doing in their coverage of this World Cup, they're make they're trying to turn this into a battle between Ronaldo and Messi. And right now, Ronaldo is up, and we hate that. Yeah, definitely. And because we want everyone to see, no, Messi is the man. Yeah, and again, both these players are carrying their team. Their teams are flawed, you know, and they're not superpower teams. And so, basically, it's it's mano y mano, right? It's it's who's going to score more goals, who's going to carry their team further. And after the first game, you would have to say Ronaldo had the better performance. And Messi could have just got those three points with that penalty kick. But the other thing goes back to, obviously, we 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 point to that one moment of the penalty kick. But at the, at the game as a whole, Argentina should have done much better to even come closer to score. I mean, did they really have that many scoring opportunities? I mean, I don't think they were. They did. But, I mean, it wasn't as if the goalkeeper had the greatest game of his life where he had 30 saves. You know, it was just really kind of inept attacking really good defense and sloppy play from Argentina, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the really interesting thing about it for me is that uh, Argentina had these massive possession numbers, right? But that was only because Iceland let them have it, right? They didn't earn that possession. They didn't win that possession. Iceland just gave it to them. 
and their midfield would buckle under just a small amount of pressure in the middle third, but that was only on the rare occasions when Iceland put it on. And I was actually surprised that in the second half, Iceland didn't put more pressure on in the middle third because whenever they did in the first half, it was pretty clear that Argentina couldn't handle it. They were just scraping by to hold on to the ball, and if they had just kept up a little bit more midfield pressure, they actually, I mean, hell, Iceland could have beat them. Yeah, I mean, we've seen this all season, too, with Barcelona. When Barcelona's playing, let's say, an Ibar or a team that they're really overmatched, right? The team's going to put 15 guys in the box, right? And it's really difficult to break that down. And again, we saw that in the match, too, in Mexico. When Mexico was up one nothing, they put everyone in the box, and Germany was having a really hard time to find holes in that thing. So, again, it just comes, it comes down to how are you going to counter that? What are you going to do? And if you are sloppy and not precision passing and so forth, you're not going to be able to break through. And especially with being tired, a lot of, you know, um, intensity in the match, it just wears on you and you're unable to score. And that's essentially what happened. And especially with the other players of Argentina who are not stepping up, then it goes all on Messi. And unfortunately he's going to get all the blame for missing that penalty kick. But I'm, you know, if you take the whole game as a whole, I mean, they should have done much, much better. So I'm hoping the next game they'll be able to, to bounce back and actually get three points. But again, who knows, you know, what the manager is capable of doing. Are, is their talent really that bad? I mean, again, on paper, you always think of Argentina as being good. But again, uh, as we've seen in, the, in their qualifying, Messi had to pull out a hat trick to get them qualified. So again, maybe they're just not that good. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that goes back, that goes all the way back to what we were saying earlier, how there's, there's no one team who really looks dominant. So it's going to be interesting to see how the matchups play out after the group stage and how those games work out. Now, in the coming week, are there any uh, matchups in particular that you're uh, interested in? Yeah, after after we record, I'm going to watch the Brazil match, so I'm interested to see how they perform. When I spoke to the Canary and Blue podcast uh, doing the World Cup preview about Brazil and Coutinho, uh, I was really impressed with their roster because I think it's a good mixture of, of hard-nosed players with super talented players. So I'm curious to see if they can put it together even though they're playing, uh, you know, not such a tough team tonight in Switzerland. But we'll see how that goes. And then also England, they play tomorrow. I'm curious to see how they they perform because, you know, the English put so much pressure on their team. And this team is really young, and they're kind of young and dumb kind of a team. Um, so we'll see how they perform. I have a lot of English friends, so they'll be interested to watch this. So those are the two matches left that I'm really interested in watching. Yeah, and they're playing Tunisia. So that should be a slam dunk for them. But you never know, again, you right? You never know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for me, I mean, aside from Argentina's next match, specifically um, against Croatia, I think that's going to be interesting. I am looking forward to Germany, t- uh, Germany-Sweden next Sunday, no, next Saturday. And, of course, you know, here's the other thing. Every four years, I kind of forget just how exhaustingly like what a vortex the world cup is, you know, three matches, sometimes four matches in a day. It's just so much football to watch. And I'm trying to sort of balance it with my life. I've definitely had world cups where I wasn't working a whole lot or my schedule made it so that I could watch every single game every day. And I did, but it's, and it's just exhausting. It's yeah. So much the, work. Just yeah. To watch it is the world cup. Yeah. It, it's, you know, I, I'm like I said, I just started a new job. So I haven't been able to watch as many matches as I wanted to, which I think is a good thing kind of because it's, you know, like you said, it's a vortex of time and so forth. Uh, But, you know, the other thing too is I love watching these random matches that I would never care about, you know, like uh, what was it? Morocco and Iran. (laughs) Like I would never (laughs) care about that match, 
because you know on a normal like international friendly or whatever but when it comes to world cup it's i i gotta watch that match you know right or you know i'm i'm just looking down the list and poland senegal yeah like you might watch that if you if if you're not doing anything you're gonna watch that game exactly like today i was watching the first match i watched today while i was working was the serbia costa rica match the only player i knew is kaylor navas everyone else i did not i mean obviously i knew some of the players in serbia but again there was nobody in the crowd uh, the announcers were pretty bored, you know, just because they didn't have a, you know, it was an exciting on paper match. But I mean, it was a decent match and a really nice free kick, actually, from the Serbian player. But again, it's just kind of funny that we both kind of get in this vortex of the World Cup, even though we have U.S. is not in there. But hey, Spain. Yeah. But so next week, we'll be back with some more World Cup coverage. Of course, we're going to be focusing on Barcelona players as much as possible. So that's going to lead us down the path of a lot of Spain, a lot of Brazil. Of course, we're going to be following Messi and Argentina. And who knows, we might even talk a little bit about Croatia if, if Rakitic uh, seems to you know, do something particularly special. Yeah, exactly. I, you know, I'm really excited to see what that match develops into because I think the pairing of uh, Rakitic and Modric is a really nice pair. And from the match last night that I watched at the bar, uh, they got the points and they looked really strong. So uh, they're going to have, Argentina's going to have their handful against Croatia for sure. Barca Talk is written by Gabriel Quiroga and myself, Brian Henderson. Editing and music is by Brian Henderson. Social media management by Gabriel Quiroga. Tell a friend about us and become a supporter of the show. Just kick in a few bucks a month at our website, barsatalk.net. Until next time, visca Barca. Sports Social Podcast Network.